0: Well, as I was coming on to staff here at the harbor uh, full-time about four years ago, I was also at the same time transitioning out of seven years' worth of higher education. So four years of undergrad, three years in grad school doing seminary. And as, as that transition took place, uh, and then especially on through the next year or two, and honestly even the, the past four years since then... Um, some new questions started to surface in my life uh, that did, I didn't necessarily ask in the same way when I was a full-time student. Uh, a lot of these questions had to do with this issue of what really is success? Um, I found myself questioning, you know, is, uh, is success really about making a certain amount of money and how much money I can make? And uh, these were things that I just, I felt myself starting to go there, um, really wrestling through this question, especially at the time I was, I was raising support to be able to do college ministry full-time here. To so ask myself, is that what success is all, all about? Is it attached to kind of money? Is it, or is it forward advancement? Is it really advancing career-wise, vocationally? Um, all, there are a bunch of different questions. Um, at the core of it, though, is, I would find myself at the end of the day thinking, you know, what I'm really longing for is that when I put my head on the pillow at the end of the day, that I could hear God saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Just this sense of satisfaction in my life, this sense of the approval of God, his pleasure over my life. And so I started to really think about this and I started to find that the reality was that I wasn't going to bed every night with that sense of the approval of God. And this sense that I was really, you know, in just in that sweet spot of of feeling this satisfaction. So I don't know, have you ever wrestled with this question of what does it really mean? What is God's standard of success? Our culture defines success in a lot of different ways. It's kind of telling us who we are, what it what it means to be successful, how it is that we should actually feel good about ourselves. Um, but you don't have to be a someone who's just graduating in order to be wrestling with this question. We're celebrating moms today. I would imagine, I'm not actually pregnant, that would be quite a feat, but you know, I would imagine that as a, as a mom, that there are times at 3 in the morning with a crying baby, you're wondering... Wow, I don't feel totally satisfied with life right now, maybe. Or what does it really mean to be successful as a person as I'm constantly, you know, caring for this child? Or my dreams are totally put on hold. I had all these dreams that people fired me up about in college. And now I'm taking care of this kid. And I don't often feel like I'm doing that good of a job at it. And I don't know, maybe you don't have never felt that way as a mom. But maybe you have and you've asked yourself this question. How do I go to bed at night, really being able to put my head on the pillow, just feeling a sense of satisfaction that, uh, well done, good and faithful mother. Now, how, how is it that we get to that place? Maybe as a student, you're wrestling through it right now in the middle of finals. You know, is it your grades that define you? Is it your grades that will determine your future? You know, is that what it will, is that what will ultimately matter? whether you can be successful before God and others. This is a big question, you know, what, what does this really mean? What does godly success really look like? So this is what we're going to talk about this morning. And we're going to look in a passage, uh, Matthew twenty five, fourteen through 30. So it's a story that Jesus tells. We're going to look at this. This is one of the main places over the past four years Where God has spoken to me and really met me in this question. God, what is it? What does it really look like to walk in success with you? I don't want media to define what success is in my life. I don't want others. I don't want people pleasing to define, you know, what other people would think. What this true success is. But I want God's word. I want the heart of God. I want him to define it. So we're going to look at what Jesus says regarding this question. Matthew twenty five, fourteen to 30. Here we go. So this is Jesus speaking. He says, for it will be like a man going on a journey. He's talking about the kingdom of God. Who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents. To another two. To another one. To each according to his ability. Then he went away. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to those who had ten talents. Or to the one with ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant out into the darkness, in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All right. A lot going on here. We're going to hit on a few things. I want to start, actually, just with the end here. It's kind of heavy, the way that this ends. Uh, there's... You know, some people have different thoughts on what exactly Jesus is talking about here when he talks about this whole weeping and gnashing of teeth. It sounds kind of intense um, really I will, as, it may not seem natural, but this is an invitation from Jesus the very end here because he 's saying if you don't live the way in which i 'm calling you to live this is always the heart of Jesus by the way on on when he's speaking in the Bible and still today saying I'm telling you this story, this parable. And if you don't learn to live according to the lessons of it, you're going to experience a lot of regret. And you're and it's actually going to be more than that. It's going to be, you're going to experience pain and anger and regret in your life. So let's all receive the invitation of Jesus today to take heed to what Jesus is trying to communicate through this parable. So we don't end up the one who has a lot of regret because we didn't uh, we didn't put what Jesus was saying into practice in our lives. He's so for us. What Jesus is calling us to is to walk in life and fullness of life. And so that's what he's trying to do here. So we're going to first look at this unfaithful servant, okay, in this passage. Again, we're, we're asking this question. What does it really mean to experience success in life? What, what is God's definition of this? How does he view it? So we're going to look at this kind of negative example first, kind of the unfaithful one, the one that was not a success in, in God's eyes. Um, so what did he do here? Okay, let's see. 14, 15, he was given, you know, he was given one talent. Uh, he goes away. He doesn't put it, you know, put it to work like these other, these other ones, these other servants. Um, he digs it in the ground and he hides his master's money. Now you may first be thinking, oh, well, he's being safe. He's being wise with this investment. Um, in the context of this passage, that's not at all what he's doing. What he's doing is basically saying, I don't really care about what's been given to me. I don't really care about the master's possessions. It doesn't really matter to me. It's an inconvenience. I'm just going to bury it in the ground. And then whenever he comes back, he can have it back. And so what with the five, two and one, all of these in that day were actually fairly large sums of money. And so in, in that time, if you had that much money to put it into practice, to kind of put it to work, as this passage says, most likely it would it, not most likely it would have been pretty easy to reap a pretty big return and uh, to make a profit on that. And so this one, he's not being really wise and, and risk avert. There wasn't a whole lot of risk for any of these three. What he's saying is I don't really care And so, so it's sort of like a slap in the master's face when the master comes back and he has this whole response. You know, isn't this interesting? We want to learn from why did this first servant, you know, respond this way. And a lot of it is because of how he viewed the master. So let's look at this. He says, he, the master comes back, he gives him the talent. He says, um, you know, I went, I hid your talent in the ground here, you know, have what's yours. Um, basically, you know, I'd rather focus on my own dreams, my own stuff, just kind of have, have your thing back. Um, it's more kind of like an inconvenience to actually be entrusted, um, with any of these things. So he says, I knew you to be a hard man. Now this word, uh, actually means it's like harsh, strict, difficult to please. Uh, this is the essence of the way that this servant viewed the master This really hard man, anything but being really caring and being really loving. Then he says, you reaped where you did not sow. You gathered where you did not scatter seed. In essence, by this, what he's saying is, uh, you're not very trustworthy. I can't actually trust you. And so why why would I have any interest in really being a part of what you do? And so I'd rather just kind of go my own way and not walk in relationship and kind of put, in, put to work the things that you've given me. So not, what he's saying is, I don't really trust you and I don't really see you as loving and caring. And so how does he then respond? He says, so I was very afraid. That's the way, that's the way that the servant responds when he doesn't view the master as good and loving and when he doesn't see him as trustworthy. It's the same way in our own lives. If we don't have a right view of who God is, of who God is as our Father, if we're questioning whether He's really good and really for us and really loving and trustworthy, we're going to inevitably drift towards fear. And we're not going to be able to walk in the freedom and the fullness that God purposes for our lives. There's a really important lesson to learn here just is kind of an overarching, that the way that we understand and the way that we perceive the character of God will be one of the most important things with that will dictate how we live our lives and how we relate to God. How you view God will determine how you relate to Him. One of the most important teachings that we do in our training school, in the Navigate Training School here at the Harbor, is we actually, it's the first one every year And it's called the Father Heart of God. And it is routinely a favorite teaching of people. And it is transforming. The essence is... Okay, so God in His Word, in in the Bible here, He shows Himself to us, maybe primarily, but one of the main ways is as a perfect Father. Perfect Father. That's how God shows Himself and refers to Him to us. That's the picture He paints for us. And yet, what happens is that in our lives because of our experiences with imperfect fathers and parents and authority figures, that we actually start putting on God things and um, views about him that aren't true to who he is. And we pick up these things over the years. And that's why I pray, you know, as we go in, Lord, you know, hit the reset button on our lives, because we experience these things with fathers and authority figures and pastors and all these things. People let us down, and we start to get this view of who God is that isn't actually who God is. It's not the perfect father. Even as I say father, some people, you know, immediately think, well, I had a distant father. I had a father who abused me. I I wouldn't want to understand God as a father. That's not a good thing at all. But what God is referring to in, in the word is a perfect father. And so he wants to help us understand him as the perfect father. So sometimes your lack of intimacy with God may not be because of God. It may be because of issues in your own soul and ways that you've never fully received the father heart of God. And you've been projecting things on him that you experience with your own earthly father. It's so important that along the way in the journey of our lives, we're learning to relate to God as a perfect father. This is something he wants to do in every one of our lives, to bring us on a journey of showing us who he really is as the perfect father in heaven. Sometimes this will take a little work. This will take encounters with the presence of God, walking in community, digging into his word encountering him, but I guarantee you, if you ask God, Lord, show me where in my life I'm not viewing you as a good, as a right father, the way you are, he will start to show you those places and you will experience freedom. It's amazing. It's one of my favorite things about walking with college students is helping them work through these father heart of God issues. Because the reality is that God's not harsh. God's not like this unfaithful servant viewed him. He's not unreliable. God's not the one who abused some of you in this room who have been abused. He's not the one who's distant and doesn't enjoy spending time with you. He's not the one who criticized you growing up. He's not the one that, you know, left the family. God is a perfect father. He wants to reveal that to us. Even this morning, God wants to give us a fresh revelation of who He is as a perfect Father. So even as I'm preaching up here, if you start getting revelation about how God actually is to you in ways that you're not seeing Him right, tune me out, start journaling, start writing stuff down, receive what God, because that's been our prayer, is that God would show you who He really is. Because as a perfect Father, He is completely trustworthy. He really is. He's unconditionally accepting He cares about every intimate detail of your life. He actually does care about uh, the clothes that you pick out in the morning. He's not obsessed with it, but he wants to be let in. Because he cares about the details of your life. He is such a good father. He's so good. He's so loving. He's so caring. He cares about the desires of your life. He cares about the stress that you're carrying as you go into finals mode. He cares about the fact that you're not really sure what the next step in your life is going to take. He cares about the grieving, the questions that you have as you've lost loved ones over this past year. He cares about you as a mother in the places where you feel insecure, in the places where you're wondering whether you're doing a good job mothering and the insecurity. He so intimately cares about every detail in our lives. And yet, if we don't view God rightly, our fear... And our misconceptions of who he is are going to keep us from walking into the destiny that God has for our lives. Can we trust God? Do you trust him? It's not a minor issue. It's really one of the issues of your life. Is can you trust God as a good father to direct your future? To speak. When he speaks, can you trust him to walk in obedience? Because if you don't trust him, you're probably not going to walk in obedience they go so hand in hand that we know God rightly for who he is. Have we encountered the father heart of God? So this is the key thing from this passage that leads this this unfaithful servant to a place where he doesn't get a very favorable response from the master, is that he didn't understand the master uh, rightly. He had a misconception about who the master was, led to fear, led to disobedience, ultimately, as I'm at least describing it this morning, a really, an unsuccessful life. But what will lead to a life that is marked by godly success, that is marked by success? Let's look at the interaction with these two faithful servants. And again, as we're reading this, be thinking, and we're talking about this, be thinking about where is the heart of God seen here? Where is actually the heart of God? That's what this parable is doing. It's showing us this is not what God's like, The response, this whole interaction with the the unfaithful one and his view. But here's what God is like. So how does the master respond? He's given five talents to the one, two to the other. And and they've put these to work. And uh, we're going to talk about that in a, in a little bit, just what that exactly means and looks like, but how does he respond to them? He says, well done, good and faithful servant. Affirmation. Affirmation from this master. You know, God wants to bring affirmation in our lives, in the places where we're walking in faithful obedience to him, where we're walking with him. It is the heart of God To bring affirmation over us. Maybe you, again, maybe you didn't have a father who ever spoke affirmation over you. So it's hard for you to hear God's voice on a regular basis speaking affirmation over your life. (laughs) Then he says, you have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. This is, this is trust and increased responsibility. God is wanting to increase our responsibility in this life. So you have a desire, you know, to do great things, to change the world. Amen. That's one of the reasons I'm doing college ministry is because I want to see college students get a desire to change the world because it's in all of us. So God wants to give you further responsibility in order to change the world. It's so good. But he wants to be able, he needs to be able to trust you in order to change the world. And the way that it works in the kingdom, the way that Jesus talks about this, is that you need to learn to be faithful in the little if he's to trust you with much. It matters, you know, it matters more how God sees you and what God thinks about you than it does what your boss thinks, than what your resume says, than what grades you get. Any of these things, it is unbelievably, that's the wrong word for it, it's just massively more important that God can trust your heart. That you walk in an integrity that is so much more important than any of the externals that you think may bring you forward advancement in your life. You know, a parent loves deeply a four year old. The mother's here, if you or if you have a child, but would not trust that child behind a car, you know, behind the steering wheel of a car. And it's similar the way it works with God in us, that he wants to get us to a place where he can trust us to, you know, have a license someday and be able to drive and have some of that, you know. But he has to get us to a place where he can trust us behind the wheel of the car. Otherwise, we're going to cause incredible damage. When I was manning, Back in the day, as the Lord was teaching me to be faithful in little during my seminary years, I felt God led me to do this job. It was very glamorous. And uh, just this one one little picture where God was teaching me about being faithful in little because he wanted to entrust me with more. And it was this. Um, I, so I managed for this family, and they, they trusted me a lot. And um, So, you know, they would just have, like, I remember this. I want to remember this one moment. Uh, all their, like, financial statements and bills and things are just sitting out on the table when I was there one afternoon. And I remember just thinking to myself, like, wow, you know, it'd be... You know, you just get that thought, like, I wonder how much they make. Like, I wonder... I I just... I'm curious. I wonder what their bills are like. And, um, And I remember... Just being like, wow, it would be so easy to just even like let my eyes just like glaze over that section. And I might like pick up something interesting, you know. and um, But yet, you know what kept me from doing that and what I felt like the Lord met me in that moment? And it was not, I shouldn't do this. It, it wasn't, this is wrong. You know, what it was is, Lord, I'm not supposed to look at this. They haven't entrusted me to know their financial matters God, how will you ever trust me with the finances of a church, as a pastor, with a family, with a wife? How will you trust me if I can't be faithful to keep my eyes where they should be? And uh, right now, like, how will you trust me, Lord, if I can't be trusted in this little thing? how are you going to trust me with more? And it was a moment where I experienced the fear of the Lord in the good sense of the fear of the Lord. It's another teaching. Um, We're not to be afraid of God, but we're to have a, a respect for him that leads us into obedience to him and brings intimacy and joy. So just as God wants to give you more to walk in his kingdom, but can he trust you with everything that's in your life at the moment? Because he wants to give you more. But he wants to see if he can trust you with what you have right now. Then the last thing is enter into the joy of your master. This is the last response that he has. Joy and pleasure. God wants to have that over your life. And he wants you to experience it with him. The desire of God for your life is that it would not be grim drivenness and just drudgery as you walk around and grit your teeth. He wants to release unbelievable joy. Again, i got to stop using that word. Huge amounts of joy into your life. Because in one sense it is believable because we can experience it and it's amazing. He wants to release joy. He is a joyful king. In Luke it says that Jesus responded full of joy in the Holy Spirit to something that was happening. So God wants this joy to be something that you partake in. Look at this. Enter into the joy of your master. That is God's desire over every one of our lives. So the question that you should be asking at this point, maybe you're not. It's okay. But the question that I was asking at this point is, how do I get it? How do I walk in these three things? How do I get to the place where God can say, well done, good, and faithful servant. Again, it's done deal. God loves you. He is for you. He is good, the father heart of God. But for God to be able to trust you with everything, for you to really walk as a faithful servant, it's not necessarily that done deal. Yes, he loves you. He meets you in it. He pours out love, but he is calling for a response of obedience to him and to walk with him. So we're going to look at that what that looks like. So how do we get to this place where every night we can put our head on the pillow and, sit and just hear the affirmation from heaven. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with what I've given you today. Enter into my joy. It's what he wants to speak over every one of us. And he's cluing us in right here. So what happens? Five, the one with five says, hey, here you go. I got, got five. Five. Five more, two says so two more. Um, now, initially, we might be tempted to think that it's because the one with five earned five more that the master says, "Well done, good and faithful servant." And the one that got two gives two back, and that's why. But in reality, that's actually not what this passage is saying. That's not what faithfulness looks like here. Going to let you know why. It has everything to do. With how these servants responded, not the result of what they, what they earned. It has to do with how they responded. Now, how do I know this? This phrase is really what this whole passage hinges on. To each according to his ability. Now, we might read that initially and actually think like, well, that's not fair. God's not fair. Why are some getting five? Well, why are some getting two? What the heck? Well... The word for ability there is this Greek word, dunamis. And it actually means the ability to carry something out. It's the word from which we get power. It's an awesome word. Might, strength, ability, capability. So as the master is giving these talents, don't miss this. He's only giving them that which he knows that if they simply do, if they simply do this thing that it says here, that, um, Let's see, if they simply go at once and put it to work, they will turn, they will bring five back. He's only giving them what he already knows they have the ability to do. That's what this word means. He's saying, I only give the one that can earn five back, I'm only going to give them five. And, and I'm only going to give the one two, two. And um, so this is, this is huge because... What God's looking for is this type of response, where we take what He's given us and we just we just walk in obedience and we walk in faithfulness. So success this is this is my awesome Neil Hubacker. Success is responding to God in faithfulness. It's amazing that He only gives the one with. Um, with five or the one with two because he's not giving them more than they can handle. He's giving the one two, two because he knows that that's what he has the power. So everything that you have in your life, whether it's your gifts, your talents, your career, all these things, he's giving you what he knows. If you walk in faithful obedience to what he's called you to, he knows that you'll be able to that he'll take care of the results and he'll take care of what comes of what comes about. Are we responding to God? In faith? It's a response to God. It happens in the place of relationship. Now, what is the best example? This is, we're we're going to kind of conclude right here. And we love Jesus at this church. Who's our best example of this model of faithfulness is Jesus No, he didn't live his life in order to try and make all these results happen. He lived his life in a response to his relationship with God. The way that his life, actually, you don't look at it and think, wow, Jesus life, like, that was so successful. By that day, his life would not have been a life of utter success. He poured his life primarily into 12 people. And then at the end of his life uh, on this earth, they scattered and flee And go the other direction. And even as he's like, you know, right before he goes to the cross there, they're still like clueless. Which just, that's another thing. I don't understand that exactly. But they're still clueless. They don't even know all of what's going on. And um, so that could probably be a little discouraging. Not the most successful thing. You know, he didn't nail the leadership, pour in these people, get them released and equipped. But ultimately, it's amazing that that does happen. You know, they try to, the success of the day, they tried to get Jesus to become this big king and rule and set up a kingdom. And Jesus just keeps rejecting it and going the other direction. He was constantly walking in relationship with the father because he knew who the father was. He knew that his father was so good. And he knew that the father's will, the father's plan for his life was ultimately what he needed and what was best for him and what was ultimately going to be. Success in God's eyes. And so I see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane at the end of his life saying, you know, God, is the cross really what you're saying is success? God, if there is a different way, please. To me, I think even Jesus is saying, Father, the cross is like the definition of an unsuccessful life. This is for the people who are absolute rejects and have failed failed society failed others and yet Jesus is responding in obedience because he knew at his core he could go through the most intense suffering that any human could because he was convinced and he that God was trustworthy that his father was good and he could walk through any trial that would come and isn't it amazing that we know the end of the story that Jesus life was the ultimate success he restored humanity's broken relationship with God by dying on a cross. And then God raises him. His father raises him from the dead three days later, not because of anything Jesus had in, an, in his own ability. The full result was what the father did in Jesus's life because he walked in faithful obedience. And so will we be like Jesus as a people? As we view our lives, as we mother, as we father, as we're students, as we're in a job, doing a job we love, doing a job we don't love, as we maybe don't have a job, will we be the type of people who know who God is, know him to be a loving, caring, for us, supportive father who wants to speak, who wants to guide, who wants to um, accept us and walk with us, or Are we going to just go the other ways of success? Kind of all the other ways that this world would define it. Will we walk in simple obedience to the Father? Just being faithful to each thing that he's called us to along the way. Because success really is all about responding to God, knowing him, and then walking in simple faithfulness, whatever that is. In just a moment, we're going to invite up our graduates and celebrate them. But before we do, um, we're just going to take a moment to just let the Lord um, just help us respond to this word, to speak anything specific about that father heart of God thing. Or maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit this morning wants to whisper in your ear, hey, here's where I'm calling you to be faithful and little right now. Trust me. I have your future completely in hand. I know what I'm doing in your life, but I want you to be faithful in this. I want you to be faithful in this area of mothering, in this area of being a student, in this area of walking after graduation. Whatever your season of life, God may want to whisper, here's the place I want you to walk in faithfulness. And then receive, for some of you, God may speak this, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with little. I'm about to give you more. Because God's desire is not just to give five. His desire is to then give 10 and then 20. He wants to increase the responsibility and the authority that He puts in your life. So let's just, I just want to pray this over us. So just pray with me and just, uh, you know, just focus on the Lord. He's so here, He's so present. He's a good Father to us. Thank you, Lord. So, Lord, we just wait, we just pause for a second for you to speak to us, for you to show us how we respond to this invitation from Jesus to enter your joy. Lord, let this not be a heavy, like a heavy message. Let this be a freeing message. You're only giving us that which you know that if we just walk in simple obedience to you, That will reap a huge harvest. And you'll bring the results. And it will be defined by you. So God we we just wait on you. You're such a good father. Just like Jesus. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. That even in the greatest cross that we bear. There's joy for us. As we walk with you. As we respond to you as we know you for the good Father that you are. Help us, Lord, to experience you, to have full encounters with who you are as such a good Father. Thank you, Lord. Amen.